Welcome to Holistic Health and Healing, a show offering solutions for the body, being, and beyond. In each episode, we discuss topics that empower you to take a holistic approach to step into your unique voice in this world. Now, here are your hosts, Dr. K and Hank Sedela, the Sonic Shaman. Welcome to Holistic Health and Healing, a show offering solutions for the body, being, and beyond. In each episode, we discuss topics that empower you to take a holistic approach to step into your unique voice in this world. Now, here are your hosts, Dr. K and Hank Sedela, the Sonic Shaman. Welcome to everyone. We have a very special guest on with us today, an experienced and certified transformational coach. He's also a major in psychology and currently in the second year of, I'll probably say a PhysD student at Adelphi University. And so I love this. Oh, see, I knew I was going to not quite pronounce it right, but we kind of really have the body, the mind and the spirit, like three people who kind of have different niches in working with people uh, today to talk about the topic that pain isn't the problem. It's more of a symptom. But why don't you go ahead and give everybody a little bit of your background so that we can uh, kind of give them your history of how what brought you to this place where you're helping people in this way? My pleasure. So I'm an Orthodox Jew and I um, I actually studied in Israel, studied Talmud for about four years. Um, I came back to the States, did, did a, lot, a bunch of mentoring work for a few organizations, did some para-professional work um, as a, an ABA, more behavioral work. Um, I worked as a youth director for four years as a local, as my local synagogue. And, um, and then I did my major in psych. I, did, um, I worked as a crisis counselor for two different organizations. Um, one of them is pretty famous, the Crisis Text Line. You guys hear of that? I have not. Have you, Dr. K? Oh, uh, like 741, 741, you text it home or hello, and they, they set you up. With oh, wait, yeah, yeah. I, I have. I'm sorry. I have heard of that. <laughs> anyway, so I worked with them for about, like, you know, 220 hours. And then I did, um, now I'm a currently a PsyD student, which basically means training to become a psychologist. I'm in my second of year of my program out of the four years. Now, I'm kind of curious because like a lot of the people that come to me, I call myself like a recovering Lutheran and they, they found that their upbringing with religion was like a hindrance to them. And it sounds like you actually have the benefit of it being a strength for people. I, I was just curious, do you, do you work with the people from all faiths or do you really have kind of the niche focus in one particular area? Um, I, work with, I work with pretty much anyone. Um, I, like, I, I usually end up working more with men, um, not specifically Jewish men. All right, cool. I was just just kind of curious, and I find you probably find that it's a great tool and asset for people. Now, when was your realization of with the like pain? Was there a particular real moment that you realized that you know pain really isn't the problem here? It's really just a symptom. What was that journey like for you? Because I know that's the the topic of today, and it's such an important thing because pain sometimes doctors just you know go to treat the symptoms and not the actual problems, and pain is a symptom usually, not the problem. Yes. Yes, if you put your hand on a stove and your hand gets burnt, um, the pain you're experiencing is a blessing because people who do not have that ability to feel the pain, they, they just, their, their skin could undergo sometimes permanent damage. Um, they could literally burn off a part of their, their body without realizing it. Pain is what lets us know that there is a problem um, and that, not, that, not, not the problem itself. Um, without pain, we would die physical pain and the same is some the same is true for emotional pain pain is the thing that tells us that there's a problem and the left and it gives us the energy and motivation to listen to a to, to listen to a part of us so let's give an example meaning pain will never live in isolation it will never just be an emotional pain um emotional pain will always can be be paired with another emotion so if you're feeling a lot of pain it means that there's a part of you that's demanding a lot of change and the level of change that's demanding is very necessary in your life um so if a person is very angry and they're feeling a lot of emotional pain the the pain is is kind of like the muscle like the mafia muscle that's trying to get you to listen to what the anger is telling you to do and the anger is letting you know that you're being treated unfairly somewhere and you got to take some big steps to make sure that you're being treated fairly in the future 
I'm curious in your line of work, have you found like Dr. K and I, a lot of our clients uh, end up resonating with the term empath. And there's some people that are really aware or even hyper aware of other people's thoughts, feelings, emotions. Have you found that with the people that you're working with that sometimes the pain is sometimes just amplified from them being aware of things, other things going on in people's lives? Yes. The way, the way I see it is a little bit different route though. To me, it's less um, of a personality type, which it can be, but to me, it's more of a style of being a child that many times as a child is intergenerational trauma. And that is when a parent is carrying many times the, the burden of, of, of unprocessed energies of, of the past, unprocessed emotions, unprocessed energies. And what happens is, is that if, when they are not processed, the children accept, willingly accept those burdens on themselves in order for the parent to be able to function because it, it because it, the burden is many times too crushing and therefore the child will willingly accept will, willingly in order for the, the parent to continue to, to continue to protect and provide for them interesting um, i never quite made the link going back to childhood that way what about you dr k have you uh, like with the generational thing like in shamanism we have the idea of like having wounds from our ancestors that we're kind of carrying forward and processing uh, with the functional medicine and the pranic healing piece is that something that you look at too like the ancestral things from the parents and and being, being passed on to the children energetically yeah you want to know a secret that i didn't never told you i actually have a degree in psychology and i didn't pursue it <laughs> because i thought the brain is it got to a point that the brain is too hard to fix but full circle now it's actually not that bad you can everybody can <laughs> so i dumped psychology to go do surgery because i figured it's easier to cut people open and sew them back up um but <laughs> Yeah, to me, everything, I think, you know, Benson is completely correct. We don't process things as children and we do take stuff on, but that stuff we have to remember has an energy. So when we take that energy of that situation on, whatever it is, because when, when parents are arguing, arguing, they're spewing things back and forth. And we know we talk a lot about words having an energy. So when you say something, something comes out and that has an energy force. So when parents are arguing or they're telling you things, you kind of take that on and then you carry that because we don't come into this world with um, all these nuances. We come in as a, a, a fresh, clean board and we go run around and we get what we want. And we learn these things after the age of five. We start to take on stuff. We start to learn the boxes of life and we start to learn, don't do this, do this. That's bad. Don't do that's bad. That's good. Don't you know, you're going to be your bad girl, your bad boy. And then we take we take those things on and we watch our parents. We watch, we visualize the energy and yeah, we take it on. So I do think we carry these things because that's, to me, that's where everything originates. If we don't create these, we talk about the original wounds. Yes, I think there may be some ancestral stuff, but I think we do, where else do we learn these things? From our right. parents, that's what we're around, right? Because we don't come in that way. We come in clean and bright and full force, so. Hey. You mentioned that it starts at five and I'm hoping that Benson has some insights on this. Like people want to heal a lot of times, but when you're talking about things that we're taking on at such a young age, sometimes there's not a conscious memory of getting stuck with these things or consciously choosing to take it on. Do you have tools or like when you're working with people, how do you get them to that place and how much framework really does there really need to be to work with that versus just dealing with the energy of it. Like, I guess, how much do you need to actually identify where the things came from versus just getting rid of the, the boxes of, of heaviness uh, from the past? That's a, that's a brilliant question. There's a lot of facets to that question. So I'm gonna try to answer it. You want <laughs> to know which pieces I, le I left out. Um, I think we should be afraid of our pain. Um, the reason why is I believe that if we were to accept the, all of our pain our, or the full breadth and depth and complexity of our reality all at once, we would drown in our suffering and we'd, we'd go crazy, uh, lit quite literally. Um, that's what I believe. I believe that delusion, uh, disassociation, denial, negation, all of, all of these defense mechanisms, ways to create distance between ourselves and our experience intellectualization you know all these things basically when intellectualization you make it oh theory make it into philosophy when it's just no you got abused <laughs> to put it you know and it's just to make it very direct um and 
all these like meta type of processes, again, all to create distance are necessary and wonder and good. However, that's, it's, they are short term techniques. And over time, we need to receive our pain. So I don't believe that you can only go from, let's say, outside inside approach. I think that has a use and a function in the short term. And that short term is necessary. It needs to be a parallel process of maintaining our, our day to day survival and functionality, which requires these defense processes, defensive processes. But then in, through a therapist, um, if, if you're you know, usually, um, you're able to it, take it in the right doses of pain, where where you're where it it will impede your functionality to a degree, but there's a certain minimum level that is maintained, but and it's not taking too much of a dose or not taking them a dose at all, because if you don't take it any dose, then the pain just builds up, accumulates, unprocessed, and then usually you'll give it to your children as well as make yourself miserable in that way. <laughs> Processing pain is a necessity of life, and that is going to be the source of your fulfillment happiness, wisdom, it makes you literally smarter because the parts of us that we've disowned and shamed and, and pushed all the pushed all the way out are, are in my view, they're like our advisors. They're, 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 there's a part of us that we're not listening to it. It's like having a meeting with, with the, you're the CEO and you're missing your accountant and you're missing your sales team. You know, so you're not going to come to as smart decisions when you have those leadership meetings because your business needs an advocate for those parts of yourself. So let's say you have anger is the shamed part of yourself that you don't listen to it. So you're likely in your life, you're going to be treated unfairly. And you're and because you don't have that voice who's advocating for that, either you'll be treated unfairly, you'll do nothing, or you'll just explode because you don't have that, that voice in balance and in integration with all the other voices. Kind of reminds me of that new Disney movie, Inside Out, all the different emotions that have a say and like what would happen when they were just missing two parts of themselves when they were going in the bridge. I don't know. I have kids, so we watch a lot of Disney movies, but it was like um, it, it had a lot of psychology components to it that, hey, if you're missing joy and you're missing sadness and you only have anger and fear and all that, the, the reactions of the child completely shifted. So it, I'm just making a parallel to a Disney movie for what you're um, what you're offering. And so like, how do, well, first, Dr. K, do you have anything to add to that? And then I have like a follow-up question potentially. Oh, the thing that was just coming up in my mind, uh, there's a condition called RAD and I'm trying to remember what the R stands for, but it's a affection disorder. It's, it's when um, a child is born and then they, they don't, they don't have a connection to the mother and they develop a disorder where they, they almost turn out to be sociopaths and all, often murderers and in jail because they never got that love from the mother because whatever the mother was cocaine addict or heroin, it, it happens a lot in those types of situations. Would you have a comment on that and what, what that type of a individual would do or a child? Because I know of one situation, I was going to send them to you, Hank, because <laughs> it's almost like an entity thing now. It's this child is very aggressive and abusive and has no concept of love and so how are they going to process this when they they came in as a baby never having that attachment to the mother and so how are they going to learn that behavior how are they going to learn the love i guess that, that that's the best way to state it and i'll let you go first with that like so the, just to re-paraphrase the question like people who have like extreme distancing from their emotional self it's because called rad of, and i don't remember a lack, lack of love or, what, or, or whatever the case is uh, how they end up developing the word how do you start to deal with people like that um i, I do find that people in therapy it, it usually will start from the therapist kind of playing the role of the mother or father it's called the, the fancy term for that is transference um, and that what they're really trying to do is offer a parallel experience where the pay, where the client is looking to have the therapist play that role in order for them to ultimately gain a, a corrective experience, meaning to go through the same type of relationship, recreating the same, some usually some toxic dynamics to it. Oh, you don't therapist, you're a bad therapist. You don't care about me. It's like, and that's really how they would speak to, to their mother or father. Um, and then the therapist is able to tolerate that annoyance and criticism and then communicate directly and, and process through it. And that offers some type of corrective experience. So in therapy, there is that opportunity to gain that. Having said that, what you're describing is far more extreme. And I don't know how effective that would be. Um, from my, my experience, the, a person needs to experience it firsthand in order for them to understand what it looks like. Um, so I think it could be harshly be done in therapy, but partially I think it would be involved 
um, going to healthy people and, and witnessing and experiencing the love and healthiness of adults that have balanced lives and do have, know how to communicate and um, be assertive, but not domineering, to be loving, but not enmeshed. You know, to, to people have these types of boundaries, boundaries, but also loving. So to have, to witness it and to experience it from, from people, to invite people in your life who have that. And then eventually you can, I do believe you can, not fully, but to a large degree and to a degree that many people don't end up achieving their life, you could end up achieving this, even for someone in that type of background. Yeah. And I think in this situation too, like people in their adult life, if they didn't get help from a parent or a guardian when they were younger, somebody like that is very unlikely to go on their own accord to therapy. And if they do end up in therapy, it's probably in a situation where they've gotten uh, put into inpatient or something because of being a danger to themselves or others. So I think the conversation was more like with children, like with a parent bringing a child where there, but then again, because their environment, how likely is it for these people to, to get help from a parent that might be part of the cause? So it seems like this is like a gap area where like there's not that these people don't end up looking for help uh, unless there's like a unique situation. And so what do you do? Like if you're a friend of somebody or you see somebody like that in your life, how does one from an outside perspective plant the seeds or try to navigate them to get help? It's kind of a really hard scenario that we painted here. Hmm. It is. It is. Um, I would say that a friend should, should try to stay in the role of a friend. A therapist can't play the role of a friend and a friend can't play the role of a therapist. Um, when you do, when these wires get crossed, it doesn't end well. You need to stay in your role because what a friend can offer is something that, that, that's very valuable. Um, I, I, I like to say this. I say that friends um, save more lives than crisis counselors. Um, and the, it sounds like a dramatic thing to say, but I 100% believe it to be true because one of the primary things that cause people to go down that route of needing to be hospitalized of suicidality and self-harm is isolation. Um, many times they self-isolate, they try to try to get their friends to hate them or, or, or stop responding to calls and texts and, and the friends give up, that can happen. And, and it's not necessarily the friend's fault, but my point is, is that as long as they feel, if you stay in that friend role, you're accomplishing a lot. And if you're a healthy friend and you're a friend that you have your cup is full and you have your life together to a large degree, you are a role model for your friend in that friendship. And that itself is part of the healing process that I was describing before. Um, I guess you could plant seeds. I guess you could encourage, but, but not, I, I would say don't, don't, don't take it on and try to feel a need to be the knight in shining armor to right. take on the full burden of this person's problems. Because then you're going to be like the child who does that. And, and, and if you take on too many burdens, your, your ship may sink as well. And that's not something you want. And then a lot of people that end up being drawn to those types of people are empaths. Uh, they, there's like a saying, it, um, an empath and a narcissist is like a moth to a flame. And there's like a codependent relationship that can develop between them because they feel the person's, like they, they can go to the depths of where they are. They can resonate or feel that. And then they feel like, well, I have to do something because if they're in that much pain and they, they end up then getting drug down with the other person because they might not, a lot of empaths aren't trained or don't have the tools to be the hollow bone, we would say, to allow that stuff to go through you and not to you. But if you start taking on water, like you sink with the ship. So you, it's a, a really close thing uh, to, to watch at. And for both of you who's watching, if you do have questions, you have comments, uh, feel free to you know, make your contributions. We can take the conversation. If you have something specific in your world going along with pain or, or, or things that we're talking about, uh, you certainly can contribute and we can go down any rabbit hole that you would like. Uh, just going back to, or Dr. K, any questions coming up? I have my little sheet here of stuff I, I had in mind, but I wanted to keep it flowing too, if there's something in particular that was coming up, or if, if you have a something for uh, Benson that you wanted to bring up that we haven't talked about yet, uh, feel free to. I think up. that's a, a good point, though, to, that we brought up is don't take on other people's stuff. Yeah. We have a habit of wanting to, some people want, have a habit of wanting to, maybe it's a lot of people, <laughs> kind of a statistic, but uh, of how many people want to help others. Like that's something I was doing a lot of, like I have to help this person. Oh my gosh, there's so much. And I'm learning, I've learned quite a while ago that it's like, no, it's there, there you plant the seed, you help them with what you can. But when you start depleting yourself because you have, you feel you have to take all their stuff on and you have to fix them and you have to help them, um, 
then you're going to get depleted and he's right the ships you're both going to go down because you're going to start absorbing all of their energy and all of their heaviness and then neither of you are going to get anywhere so the yeah. best to plant the seed and you know things like what we do here just to get people people can shift their brains when they start being impregnated with different thoughts and things start to shift for those that are willing and open to to listening um and and people have cured themselves of so many different things so i think it is possible but to constantly feel because benson isn't it correct there's those that just uh, emotional vampires they just as I call them people that just uh, drain you and constantly want 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 because they're not getting enough somewhere so they they want that person that's gonna come and save them and they they almost drain them um, as, as I put it I call them emotional vampires but... <laughs> yeah, people have a very high needs and their need their needs are so high and have, have not been addressed where if they finally taste it's kind of like someone's been fasting for like the for like a day or two and then like someone offers them like oh here's my uh snack cabinet they're just gonna go in and just start like plowing through all your food because, because they're starving and once they get a taste it's very hard for them to just okay i'll take one snack that's what the whole they really were saying i should take right and when you're like watching the person eat it, you're like okay i guess this is happening now and they finish your whole cabinet so i i think that it's a I think part of the empathic response is to see that they're not coming, they're not a vampire that's looking to just for like sport or pleasure, really. It, it, it's out of necessity and they're starving and they need it from somewhere. Usually they're missing it from one of their parents, usually both. Um, and they're looking to compensate by having the friend basically play the role of a parent, which they're not meant to do and won't work well. Um, but but the need for that resolution, I think, is very something we can all kind of relate to and understand without with them setting the boundary and say, you know what, I could give you this part of my snack cabinet, but not the whole thing, because then I will be depleted. And like the airplane with the mask over your mouth or the cup is full and you're pouring whatever visual or parallel you see to help you understand this or, or the lifeguard that you need to be supported and, 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 and stable before you go in. Otherwise, you both drown. So that that's yeah. that's really important to understand. One thing I wanted to bring up, but kind of getting an inspiration to mention it to people, is that going to a therapist does not mean that you're like. I think a lot of people have a stigma of if you find out somebody's in therapy of judgments that other people have, like oh, the, like you know what's wrong with them. Like it, it, it's a tool to really take a deep dive into the pain and somebody that has a lot of tools. I went through therapy for years, and if I needed, if I had something come up in my life, I still have my therapist's number in my phone if, if something really hit the fan. So I wanted just to take. Could you speak a little bit about taking off the stigma of you know people who might have a point of view or that wouldn't go to therapy because of the perceived judgments about being in therapy? Have you had to work around that for some people that are really looking for help, but had concerns about how it might be perceived if someone else found out? Yeah, so my approach is I think stigmas and stereotypes are useful. Um, that's my approach is everything is useful in the right dose and context. Some stereotypes, though, are based on wrong information. And I think that's um, some stigma. This stigma is an example of that. But I think partially true. I think we should be afraid of our pain so we don't drown. Um, that will make sure, because when we have defenses come up, some people like get very, um, they, 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 they allow, there's a lot of shame for, for oh, you're getting very defensive. Good. <laughs> you should, if you're getting, if you're carrying a shield, the chances are you need it. If you're been, if you, our, I trust our human design. And that is, if, if we have something activated inside of us, the chances overwhelmingly are is that it's, it should be activated. and through getting more experiences that can make it less defensive. That's true. But, but ultimately we're being guided from both as, as um, the doctor said, that from our experiences, from things that happen to us and good bo good girl, bad girl, that, that from both nurturing, but, but also actual things that happen to us. Um, so in this situation, I would say is that a, a therapist, let me say this, that the standard for, for help is not if you need help. And because that's not the standard for anything else, by the way. And the standard is, is it worth it for me? Um, and and usually usually a person's first therapist may not work out. But but when you find the right person where you're able, the, the most important thing is for there to be a, a good relationship, clinically proven to be the most important factor, not their exact approach. 
if you have someone that you click with as a therapist, that can, if that can help you gain access to that part of yourself that's missing, that can give you a certain wisdom, get you over something. Then at some point in your life, the stigmas can't matter anymore. It has to be, you know what, this is my truth. This is what works for me. And I can't run my life holding back and, and, and giving myself something that I, that is worth it for me to explore, to find out if this will be something helpful to me because of other people's opinions. At some point you need to say, this is my, this is what works for me. This is my truth. And, and then ultimately the stigma is fading. Um, thank God for that. And hopefully we'll come to a place where, where people who, who could use help, who, who it's worth it for them to get this help. That's enough for them to go ahead and get it. I love the, you said it a couple times that you have the point of view and you look at everything as valuable and even even the most painful parts of your life to look at it as that has a value. Uh, could you speak a, a little bit more to that? Like how to that that could be like a big mountain for some people to look at. Well, you mean everything in my life, even the things that I don't like about me the most actually has value. Is there a, any tools that you give people to kind of start shifting their mindset to be able to put them in the place where they can see the value in the things that are even like their biggest hindrances or from their point of view the biggest pain points i like to do the following um this is a little complicated but i like to do the following um test and that is do you do you think shame is a good part of you no it's not shame is bad shame's toxic that's, that's usually right and then i'll say this i'm like that just sounded like you just shamed your shame right and they're like i guess yeah right and i'll be like did that feel right to you <laughs> They're like, yeah, that's it. So I'm like, oh, so you do see a purpose to shame. Shame is meant to be wielded against shame itself. But that itself shows how people are anger. They'll be like, I get angry a lot. I'll be like, is that a good part of you? No, it's not. I'm like, are you a little angry at yourself for getting angry? They're like, yes, I am. I should not be getting angry. I'm like, you see, does the anger feel right to you? The answer is yes. So, so, so people intuitively understand this. I don't believe I'm giving something people something new. The reason why that people shame it and people disown certain parts of them is because it's carrying a lot of pain or it's carrying way too much shame. And that what that does is then it causes us to, we understand if we integrate that voice, that it will bring all that stuff to the surface, which is something we're looking to avoid. And for good reason, because it likely will impede our functionality and will overwhelm us in the short term. But the benefit is that we're bringing another voice that will be an advocate for us and be a source of our wisdom. Again, it's like having that CEO table with, with some advocates for some aspects of your business which are necessary, you're missing. You're missing the cleaning staff, you're missing the sales team, you're missing the marketing team, you're missing the accountant, the bookkeeper, you're, you're missing someone. And, and, and every one of them plays a different role and every one of them is important. So fear is gonna protect you from potential threats. So your alarm system, your depression is an anesthetic. When your pain is overwhelming, depression is a wonderful thing to make to numb the pain for a while in the short term. Um, shame will protect you from violating your own boundaries. Anger will, will, will make sure that you're being treated fairly by others. It's similar to jealousy. Um, you go through each one. Self-doubt will cause will, is a wonderful part of you that causes you to reevaluate um, parts of your life so that you're able to then adjust, make adjustments as your life evolves and you evolve your needs evolve and that self-doubt will keep ensuring that you're, you're, you're being adaptive to, to what life and improvising to what life throws your way in a way that's optimized. So all these voices are wonderful parts of you. And, and the way I like to do it, I say is mastery. Notice that voice, notice it, even if they're saying contradictory things, accept that they're both there and true. Sit with it, notice, accept, sit with it. I mean, listen to what they're saying. Listen to all, everything you have to say, don't feel need, don't say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Then there's the door. Accept it here, wait till they're done talking, Res then go on to the next voice and listen to every voice until you feel resolved. Then respect what they're saying. Respect means understanding that they're coming from a good place. Even if you don't listen to their direct advice, understanding that the underlying need that they are trying to advocate for in this situation is something that's good for you. So let's say the anger is like, let's kill this guy straight up. And, and you're like, you know what? Killing also violates my morality, killing also violates um, my relationship, I actually like this person. I, I want my, I want my social needs to be met with them in the future. Oh, okay. So you know what? maybe instead I'll communicate directly to them in a way, but the part of you that is angry is saying this, um, unfair dynamic needs to change and you'll find another way to have that happen. So the underlying needs still need to be addressed. 
so respect so notice it meaning just without any judgment accept it that it's there sit with it listen respect it seeing that it's usefulness and integrate it and involve it into your decision without even if it's not in this exact decision at least find a way to address its need in the, in the long term not in exactly in the situation because sometimes it's just yes or no Please, in the long term, find a way, make sure that no voice inside of you is being neglected. See, and this is something that everybody watching, go back after this and watch that part again. That was gold. I, I love it, what you said there. And Kathy loves it too. She says, Benson should write a book. Absolutely. That could be a whole thing right there. And for the people who are listening on the podcast afterwards that don't see the screen, uh, to connect with uh, Benson Fox, his website, or you, it's just at on Instagram at Coach Benson Fox. On LinkedIn, it's at Benson Fox. And then CoachBensonFox.com for his website. and Or you can email him at results at CoachBensonFox.com. So definitely connect if you resonate. He has, as you can clearly see, a ton of tools to offer. And I always like saying, too, that when people have these things that they judge themselves for, like the anger and shame and things like that, there's skilled and unskilled applications to every energy. And if you're in the place of responding, you're using the skilled energy. And if you're in the place of reacting, it's more than likely the unskilled energy. But it's all like anger skilled is potency. Uh, in my world anyway, is like just one example. And I think you broke down like a wonderful way to start dissecting and finding the gold in the things that we judge ourselves most for. Well put. Let's see. I'm just looking at my cheat sheet here, because I think I think we've, we've covered a lot of the things that we really wanted to get to in the conversation. I think one thing we, we could probably dive a little bit more into is the idea that if you don't value everything about yourself, then you are worth less. So like to truly value everything, it's, it's along the same parallel of the things that we were just talking about, valuing the totality of who you are, good, bad, and ugly. Yeah, absolutely. I'll tell you, part of my religion informs this approach because trust in the human design, trust in the, at the unconscious will guide you to bring up only what it can handle. And when it starts making things blurry, confusing, and you start denying it, allow that to happen. That's, that's fine. That's good. Because that means you're touching something that will overwhelm you and you don't want that. So that's smart. So part of my approach is because I believe God made every part of us. Every part of us is a gift. So I like to say this, that there's, um, if you get a knife set, from someone for like a wedding present. Congratulations, Mazel Tov, right? But um, Mazel Tov is the Jewish way to say it anyway. Oh, I got it. Okay, cool. So then there's like, would you say, oh, knives could be used to kill people and hurt people. And knives could also be used or to, for destruction and knives could also be used to butter bread and cut your meat. You're like, so it wasn't really a gift. It was, it was a neutral. No, it was a gift. It was, it was something. You ever write a nice thank you letter to that person? The neutrality is, is a way of illusion. It's technically true that every part of us has a purpose for how it's good. People like to say, I'll channel my pain for something good. The purpose of why we're given pain is to give us wisdom, to allow, to force us, in a way, to force us to integrate those voices that normally we would not have been either had energy or the motivation to listen to them because it was too hard for us. So when we, people say, well, I'm going to channel my pain for something good, it, to me, it's, it, it's not, you're not channeling it. it you're using it, it you're using the, the, the knife to butter the bread and to cut your meat. That's, that's its purpose. And it's a gift that we're given. So every part of us has this, has a value, every part of us. And that's why the key to, to me, the, everything in life is going to be a balance. It's never going to be um, deleting it permanently. It could be for Certain, certain period of time, you can't handle it, and therefore should put to the side. In the long term, every part of us needs to be brought in and be integrated in, into the and and be brought into the balance in the right dose, context, and time. Question, kind of, uh, and Dr. K can probably speak to it too, and because I do a lot of shamanism and things, and I know that there's like psychological framework for what we do as a soul retrieval uh, for people with like post-traumatic stress disorder that were in a situation where they did something so far outside the realm of what they truly feel is moral that it freezes them in time and space. And I was wondering if you could just speak to the psychology framework of when we're looking at a trauma like that, that in my world, you know, we're having to go back and get a piece of their themselves to bring it here and, and integrate it into this moment. Uh, what would be the psychological framework for that type of process if if you can parallel it, it honestly it's almost all the same words just i i call it a, a part of ourself it, it can get frozen 
And I mean, there's many different ways. Some people call it a fixation, but the way I understand it is that that younger part of ourselves, meaning a part of ourselves from that a younger a younger time in our lives, is can get frozen. So let's define trauma. Trauma is going to be, um, in my view, is is uh, an experience that activates parts of ourselves that we're unable or unwilling to process at that time. Um, and the problem, so the advantage of trauma, so that's trauma is a good example of where we need all those defenses to kind of push it off because it's too much all along. But the problem is, is that sometimes the okay, we're like, okay, we're actually good, you know, I could still function with this thing happening to me. But the mistake is, is that you do need to go back and then process what has happened. So take every part of the experience. And here's the mistake people make. Many times, there, every experience will have positive and negative components to it. Every single experience. Happy birthday. There was too much, the cake had too much salt. Um, you know? And abuse, abuse will, there will be a positive component to it that needs to be heard. There'll be a part of you that says, it has a possibility, one of these possibilities, and it doesn't justify it at all, at all. But but that for yourself, for yourself, it's important to know that that the positive aspects of the of a of a, of a terrible terrible experience, those voices inside of you, if they're disowned, that can lead to intimacy problems. Because if you don't trust your body then, and you're like, I don't trust my body ever again, because that was not a good, and we don't want to feel anything good about. It. I don't want to feel special from anyone because that my abuser made me feel special. So that, but you need to go back to the original experience and hear the voice that's saying, I, I was given attention and that felt good. Or what, I'm not saying that needs to happen any specific one of these, but integrating both the positive, all parts of yourself that were activated through that experience, you need to go back to that experience and hear all their voices. It could have been smart to not listen to them all at the time. That have been too much or too confusing, or, or if you would have listened to the positive voices then, you would have continued to allow yourself to be put in an, an, an abusive situation, etc. But but now but now you're an adult, and now you, you're trying to take control in your life. You're trying to take massive action. This is the massive action of going back and listening to those voices and integrating them. So now you'll, you'll have access to them, or the voice of disempowerment, or the voice of empowerment, of I wanted to fight back. And now now you're going to regain access to those voices when and now when situations arise that require those voices now those voices will be able to advise you and give you the smartest decision to integrate and within within the, the context of all the other voices and they each will balance each other out to come to the, the most integrated wisest decision it sounds like something similar that dr k and i talk about is getting back to the original wound from specifically the soul retrieval perspective dr k do you have is there different verbiage or things in pranic healing where they kind of frame it, it a little bit differently than what we've already talked about well original wound is is it's the original trauma and i think a lot of these traumas were not processed and so then they sit in cellular memory and they create all sorts of things you know they create responses they create physical manifestations and in pranic healing, really, it's, it creates a, um, an energy. It's an energy that somewhere you were told you're no good. And then, so you, you sit with that. Um, but I think Benson explained a lot of that very nicely. It, but it sits as a, it's kind of like a lump that sits there inside you somewhere. And at the time, it's so traumatic that we just don't process it. We don't see all, it's like a, the Rubik's Cube. You don't see all the aspects of it. Uh, and it just sits there and, and and a lot of people don't process those traumas and they repress them and that's one of the worst things that happens we we have all these traumas that happen whether they're little or big whether you're told you're you you told you're told f up or whatever somewhere in childhood or something much bigger where you're sexually abused we repress we pull those down because of multiple reasons society friends shame guilt all these things and then they're never processed and then they're like storage boxes and they either come out at moments where we get really angry for no reason and nobody can understand why we got angry or they also they they manifest as cancers too because that energy of that trauma is so potent it has nowhere to go um and so so yeah we we need to a lot of people don't ever go back and process even the little or the big traumas and they accumulate and then they play out they start playing out as stories in our in our adulthood um, and so that's what this, I think that's what a lot of life is about is processing these little traumas that we've had, 
But life would be very boring if we were just black and white and everybody was happy all the time and we were never angry and we were never guilty and we were never, you know, we were just like this all day long. We'd be like robots. So yeah. it is part of the soul and life journey. That's just my my interpretation of the, the way that you just said that it reminds me of neil donald walsh's quote in the absence of that which you are not that which you are is not needing the contrast to really truly experience yourself as a, an infinite being or whatnot need the contrast uh, yeah and uh mike was just what's that i love the rubik's the rubik's cube analogy the oh. fastest all the facets of experience i love that yeah, and Rubik's cube, though it seems complicated, it's an algorithm, and if you do very precise steps and you repeat them, it gets solved. And so sometimes we we we're, we get caught up with like the all the you know trying to figure it out, but with a little bit of guidance and a little bit of research, you could actually just solve it blindfolded if you practice a little bit. They do it all the time. Uh, and then Mike was just oh, not that one. Uh, we, we heard Dr. K's cat in the background, so it's kind of like the, the little mascot. Just says the puma says good morning, which is his jaguar in in Quechua. Uh, but uh, Mark was asking on a more serious note that change may be very difficult for some, and is wondering if there's suggestions or tips to embrace the transformation and feeling these are the situations to, to state it a different way that the pain is so such great magnitude that people don't even want to start the journey. And it's like for myself coming from a place of addiction, I had so much going on that I had to get to the place where they have the saying, you have to get sick and tired of being sick and tired to then be willing to wade through all that trauma and drama and actually start to get better. But I don't feel that people have to get to that place. Like are there stepping stones where you, you stop taking the elevator down and, and start your progression up instead of bottoming out where you have to get to that that point where that's something you demanding that something has to change because you're so miserable. What are the tools to get people to stop and start to make progress before they get to that point? Um, the first thing I a little bit disagree with what you said. I, I do think pain is necessary to give you the energy and purpose. That's why I was saying that it does give you us the energy and motivation to make the changes in our life that we need to be made. So we don't need rock bottom. I mean, you don't need that, but we do need, that's the purpose of pain. That's what pain's, good for is help forcing us to make these changes. I will say this though, that in terms of change, change is a scary thing and it should be scary, um, which is why change is meant to be incremental. Um, we have a part of us that pulls us back always towards the homeostasis and that's a wonderful part of ourselves. And basically the premise is we're pretty good now. We're not great, but we're pretty good and we're surviving and we have at least that. And change means that can, that can change. If you make a massive change, all at once and trying to make big changes, you will feel a pullback from yourself. That's one of our defenses. And it's a good defense. It's helping us make sure that we're not making a change that we can't then return back to this homeostasis. So I like to say we're supposed to take one step out of our comfort zone, one leap out of our comfort zone, but not a mile out. Because if we go a mile out and then we try to find where our comfort zone is, we're like, where was that comfort zone? And then it's gone. And then that is the scary thing with change. So change car carries risk. And that's why change is meant to be incremental. You take one step out, you take one leap out, and you wait. And you're like, okay, what was this like? How did this feel? Okay, this felt good. Okay, it's made some progress. Okay, now let me take another step. Like, I'm going another few months. And like, okay, that felt okay. You know what? Okay, this just seems like the right way to go. But that, that's how change occurs. The way, the, the part of us that resists change, again, it's, I'm being, trying to be internally consistent, is a good part of us that's meant to make sure that we don't move too far out of homeostasis to not be able to return back to at least the state of being okay or pretty good. And, and, but, but then there's a part of us, the pain part, right. That's, that's saying, you got to change. You got to listen to these voices that are asking you to be treated a bit more fairly, to protect yourself against these threats, to make these developments, adaptations in your life. And you're like, okay, I'll take this one. I'll take this one. This is like the loudest voice. I'll listen to this one for this thing. And as we experience the safety and growth over time of these, of these adaptations, of these changes, then the level of risk gets lowered and then we feel comfortable and we are, our comfort zone expands to include that. And then we're able to take a step out of there as well or a leap out of it, but not a mile out because that's mm -hmm. dangerous. That carries too much risk for us. And we should not be taking, we should not be reckless and just demanding transformation tomorrow, even as a hypocrite as a transformation coach. A lot of people like to, they want the end result today when it, it takes like, it, it took me, I went through rehab and years of therapy and also went into the metaphysical world and got a lot of tools there. It was a very long 
progression. Uh, but the, the cool thing is that as we do wor work on ourselves and we see where we were able to excel in things, it gives us more potent tools to help people maybe have uh, like if I had someone like me when I had started out, I, I probably would have had an easier time. I was piecing together the little parts of me, but everybody's journey is, of course, unique. There's this one principle that Dr. K and I got from this uh, boot camp we were in. They called it the 51% rule. And the real thing that you really need to start changing is you just need to want it more than you don't. 51% of you needs to want it. If you can hang your hat on that extra 1%, you can start tipping the scales to really start to, to have the change, like you said, incrementally one step at a time. Yeah. Let's see, Mike was making some more comments. Oh, not really relevant to our conversation, though, Magic Mike. <laughs> cool. Thank you for all your contributions. It's, any other questions out there? Is there any questions uh, as we've gone through the conversation, anything else uh, coming up for you that you feel would be really good to kind of build on what the conversation that we've had so far uh, to give people some additional insights as to really getting to business working on themselves? Sure. I think one thing to become sensitive to is how society does not adopt, adopt this approach that I'm, that I'm suggesting. Society does not want you to see every part of yourself as good because society is interested in one thing and one thing only, and that's functionality, survival. It wants you, you're, you're a link in a chain and that, that's all you are. And for a link, links, we don't care about a link to be happy a link or a fulfilled link or a self-actualized link. We want you just to be there and do your job and perform and then go and go home and do whatever you want. But so society is very into the functionality and for functionality, a lot of the parts of yourself that are curious, that want to explore, that want to um, wonder about things, that wants to um, fulfill the parts of yourself that are scary. Society doesn't want that. Society wants you to say a murderer uh, is crazy, is a sickness, right? Using words that, that, that means that to not try to come in touch with a part of yourself that may want the same thing. We, society is not meant for that. And, and the way society, because there's nothing to fear but fear itself. Anger is a poison that hurts the vessel uh, more than the one it's poured on. Um, jealousy is is the root of hatred and hate just the, the quotes go on and on and on it's so built in even and by the way even from a psychologist it's built in an anxiety attack a panic attack it's anxiety is not attacking you i promise you that it's just like your alarm system is not attacking you when it's ringing that's the anxiety is not either attacking it the alarm system is telling you that there's a potential threat it could be the alarm is very sensitive because you've been through enough things in your life where you want it to be any even the small set uh, chance of threat you want it to warn you but that's, it's not attacking you. It, it, it's helping you, to, it's an anxiety attack, it's an anxiety defense. Um, so I think it's important to understand how built in, how entrenched the view of, from a societal perspective, even within the world of psychology, within the wellness, within, within the self-help industry, how built in it, it, how built it, built in it is to, to, to shame and to push away, all, to disown these voices. Be your fearless today and, um, and, and recklessness is, is, is confused with bravery. If we didn't have fears, we would die. Without pain, we would die. Not to use just always such existential things, but I'm just trying, it's just the extreme proves the point that, that, that we need every voice and, and, and society may not be so interested in you having all these voices and to be sensitive when people use language that has implication, that to have certain truths to them, but have instant um, vilification and, and shaming that is built into them as well. And to, and to learn to see, you know what? I don't accept that. I think there's a lot more things to fear other than fear. Fear, by the way, should be feared sometimes as fear becomes too much and paralyzing. And maybe you should fear fear. But but fear itself, there's many things to fear other than fear. It's, it's maybe someone that's trying to hurt you. Maybe you should fear someone that's going to bully you. You should be afraid of them. Yes, you should. You shouldn't just go up to them because if they're stronger than you, then, then they may hurt you. So, so that's, yeah. What I found too is sometimes, especially for firstborn children, uh, like parents getting very protective over a child just exploring the world, a child can start to misidentify excitement with fear. And I had my own experience. We were down in Disney World, and my son would not go on any roller coasters. And we're in the line for a Slinky Dog, and uh, you know, it's just one more thing that we're gonna—he's gonna not end up riding. And I, I asked him like, "Well, just out of curiosity, really listen to this: Are you afraid?" Or are you excited? And it really made him, made him step back. He thought about it for me. He's like, I'm excited. And so like, it was, it was like a, a huge aha moment. And I 
love the acronym for fear now, feeling excited and ready, especially when it's ego-based because ego only knows past data. But maybe there's a different point of view on this one from psychology. It bases everything on past data and wants you to survive. And when there's a new possibility, it kind of freaks out. And, and so like a lot of times it's just a, a mechanism of ego trying to keep you safe when we have like a, a, a fear and anxiety of not stepping or trying something new. And then, and also to springboard off of that too. And then uh, get another comment from Benson here. She, she, uh, Kathy was just saying, I think you have to experience pain yourself before you can understand another's pain. So maybe there might be some talking points around uh, that type of energy too. Cause I have my thoughts on understanding. Yeah, no, fear will make um, warn you of, of future threats based off of past threats, um, which I think is smart. Um, the problem of where the imbalance can freeze you is when you become not open to new experiences because of the fear. That's the imbalance of fear. And that's when, the, just using my model, you would end up, you, you learn to add other voices that can help you correct that and, and come to some type of compromise where, where at least there is some openness to new experiences. Because the new experiences, will then guide you into um, a new approach. Let's so you go to one tailor, he, he, he does the suit, it's too high up on you. One, another one does too tight, the other one too loose. And you're like, you know what? Tailors do bad jobs. That's what your fear will tell you because you're wasting your money. And that's a good thing to be protective. But maybe now the way to integrate the protectiveness is now look at the Yelp reviews and to look on uh, online and, and, and make sure that you're, or get a referral to a tailor that you know has worked well from someone that you do trust. Um, and being open to those new experiences while pursuing that protection, that to me is, that is where the compromise and get built in. And, and then those, and then as you add new corrective positive experiences, then you're able to make, cr strike the correct balance between self-protection and, 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 you know, protecting your resources and then to, um, as well as pursuing further and giving yourself access to, to new possibilities. Yeah, and now Mark made a comment, and I'm, it, he's he's our resident comedian, but I usually take his comp comedic things and spin them. And he's giving this example of if I slam my my hammer on my thumb, should I interpret that as my need to change to allow someone to do this job? But where I'm spinning this comment is like we have this um, tendency sometimes as we start to develop these tools and like we're hearing uh, like in your model, like you listen to all the voices, like is, there's also needs to be a balance of over-interpreting uh, data as well. Like like Sigmund Freud said, sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. And so like, um, is, there, is there some tools to give people that as they start to enter into the world of listening to these voices and, and, and letting them finish what they're saying and then choosing, like where would the line be of maybe going too far into the analyzing of those types of things? So, so I believe cigar is always going to be a cigar and the cigar is always going to be representative of the phallic structure and, and, and some deep, deep, you know, dream space, uh, unconscious thing. I think it's always going to be both, but I think, I think you're onto something here that there's, there's a balance. And that's why I say the parallel process of functionality and processing things is necessary. Um, part of functionality is not listening to these voices or, or just allow or doing it only in an unconscious way. To do it, if you're thinking too much in your head, in this processing and everything, you're going to be absorbing too much suffering, and that that doesn't work. Then you then you lose too much functionality. That doesn't work. So you're right in that situation. When you're crushing your thumb with the hammer, just use as an example. You don't need to be thinking. Okay, so there's a voice. Of, you could do it as an exercise if you're looking to adopt this approach, but not as a regular thing because you could just be like, "That hurts. I don't want to do that," and that's it. <laughs> No, because you could trust because you could trust your unconscious. So there is a place to do it a more conscious way for things that your unconscious is, it refuses to go even near. So you may need to consciously, you know, let me please touch this a little bit and then, you know, respect and receive the defenses. But 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 overall, there is a there's, you have to live sometimes in the storm, and you need to also go out of it and to live your life as well. Right. And then there's also a part on education, because like in Mark's example, like if you haven't worked at a hardware store and know how to use a tool, then sometimes you can make a mistake and just giving yourself, well, maybe there's a better way to do that. I, well, even though there's pain, maybe I should shift and develop a skill set to better use the tool. And uh, Mark is just saying, great show. Thank you. Thank you all for your great advice. Thank you for showing up, Mark. We really appreciate that. Mm -hmm. And just um, if you do have any final comments, questions, we started a little bit late because we had tech issues. So we still have a, just a couple minutes. Uh, but if you want to connect with uh, Coach Benson Fox, his website, 
coachbensonfox.com. And everything is really easy to remember. It's results at coachbensonfox.com if you need to email them. And on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram, well, it's a little bit different. Facebook and LinkedIn is just at Benson Fox, and Instagram is at Coach Benson Fox. And for those of you on Instagram, I do upload these to Instagram TV afterwards, after it's edited in under an hour. So if you'd like to consume data on Instagram, it will be there. We also upload it to the podcast network. It will go up on Monday, and you'll be able to take this conversation on the go through iHeartRadio or iTunes or Amazon Music. You can even say, you know who, Alexa or Google Home or whatever you have, you know, uh, play the Holistic Health and Healing podcast, and you can play this on your smartphone device. It will just bring up the last episode uploaded. So you have a lot of different uh, ways that you can connect with us and whatnot. And Anne was just uh, saying, I truly appreciate the social uh, issue, which is terrible pressure. Yes, I appreciate the fact that some therapists push before we are ready. I too came from a childhood wound, but sometimes even therapists don't want to hear the extent of those feelings, saying which has been my experience, that I have the ability to change myself. Yes, I know that, but I need patience and help. So for those people, who, like, uh, I think the meat in there is, is there a balance for a therapist? Like, does, like how much because I've heard different schools of thought that if people are really telling their story, if they're embellishing it too much, can that, can that, like, if you're just telling your story to a friend, for example, sometimes that's adding cement to the situation. If they're validating where you're going, where a therapist is working as you tell the stories to give tools to start shifting you out of that. Is there, a, in, in, where in therapy world, is sometimes it too much to let them go or do you let them go where they need to go? I've, it's been a while since I've been in therapy to, to know that. Like, how far do you let them go before you start bringing them back or bringing them out of the story. So I'll tell you where I think they're coming from, which I think is really important. And that is respecting the defenses. And this is where many therapists will will either um, refuse to listen to the defenses. Uh, many of them just try to push past them um, or, or refuse to go even near them. So what, also the other point is that many therapists don't won't receive the full extent of your suffering because they can't handle it themselves. And I think that's true. I think that could definitely be true. Many therapists are not have not resolved a lot of their own stuff. And the difference between a good therapist and a bad therapist isn't if they're more resolved or less resolved. The difference is if whether they're going to be aware of when they're getting sucked in and how that's impacting their ability to give you treatment. And then they can make the necessary adjustments based off that. It's called counter-transference. When the therapists themselves, their own unprocessed energies and unprocessed emotions and unresolved conflicts are being Hold, it's affecting the, the client-patient relationship, uh, the client-therapist relationship. So the good therapist will know when it's happening and feel free to discuss it openly with the client themselves. Not You don't need to go into all the details of your life, but just to see, say that this brought up something for me and this is affecting me. That's how I approach things. Um, and to be aware of it and then to make the adjustments. You know what? I actually think that I acted disproportionately. I got too involved with getting you to be empowered and work out, etc. And the reason for that was because there was a time in my life that I felt very disempowered, and I saw that in you, and therefore I pushed that on you harder than what actually what was in your best interest because I was trying to resolve something for myself. So competent therapists are hard to come by. Usually, they're the most expensive, unfortunately. I mean, that's that's how life works. Usually, value usually goes together, um, and. But that's why it's almost worth the kind of the pretty penny to pay for someone that's been in therapy themselves for many years and has worked on the self-awareness where they're then able to receive in, in your question the full extent of your suffering while giving it to you as you said with patience so giving it in the right doses of what you're able to handle and that involves how do, how do they know because they're relying on your feedback and, unco and and unconsciously you will be giving them feedback of how much you're able to handle in the moment you're going to be like, I'm very confused about what you're even saying. I can't even listen to you anymore. And that means that, that that's too much. And that's where you pause. And then the next session, you're able to then go a little bit deeper and process a little bit more. Yeah. And a final comment, and then we'll wrap here. And Emma's just saying that sometimes the tools don't resonate with me. And I find that with uh, sometimes with clients, it could go, be one of two things. Either the tool really isn't one for them, or sometimes the non-resonance of a tool could be a resistance to the issue itself and transference to use the word you use is going to the tool, but it's really about where you're going with the tool. So how do you balance or know the difference in situations like that? Is there kind of a tip to point out when it's one thing or versus another? Um, I would say that 
many times people resist tools because the tools that they're being given are only functional tools, if that makes sense. Meaning tools that are looking to optimize their functionality, but they may involve trying to shut down parts of themselves. And our unconsciously, we may be resisting. Maybe there's a part of us that's, that, that's getting very angry. And we're like, oh, now do deep breathing. We're like, I hate deep breathing <laughs> because I, I, I need the anger. The anger voice has not been heard enough in my life and I need to receive that voice now. So the resistance, I, I usually trust the resistance. I usually will, will side on that end. If there is a pervasive resistance that's resisting many, many types of things, then you need to understand. You always need to try to understand what's behind it, the resistance. But usually, I trust it. But if it's too broad, then and it, and and if it's also not only tools of how to function better, to breathe and mindfulness, etc., you know, certain certain um, progressive muscle relaxation, but also extends to like things like my mastery approach: notice, accept, sit, respect, integrate. If it also extends to things like that, and that even the processing tools are one you're resisting, then that can mean you know this elements of that a person can be very afraid of, of feeling good, um, and when they're afraid of feeling good, then you need to protect yourself from feeling good, and that means embracing failure preemptively because feeling good has the potential. The better you feel, the harder the fall, which is true. So that that, that could be one example of something that that could prevent someone from accessing certain tools of resistance to being helped. And Dr. K, like, I feel like I've, I've asked more questions of, uh, well, I, I ask questions and talk to Dr. K all the time. Like, we don't always have a guest on. So I, I just want to give a, an opportunity to hear um, from all, the whole conversation, any uh, wrap up thoughts and things uh, from, from your realm of what, anything else that could be helpful with what I'm we've been talking about. I'm just sitting here taking it all in. And um, my thought really is there's, there, this is not a black and white thing. There's no like this is the formula. Um, life is life and the body are complicated. And the biggest thing that's coming through is, yes, anger drives us. Stress, a small amount of stress is a driver to propel us forward. But things like anger, guilt, shame, how long are you gonna sit in it and embellish on it? Years, months? That's not a healthy place in my mind to stay. So acknowledging what's going on, I like to get to the deeper wound and that's what I do in my Parameters process is getting down to that deeper wound and acknowledging it and whatever comes from that person. You know, I've had clients that just cry their eyes out for one or two sessions, but we get to the bottom and we pull up that thing that's been sitting there for so long and we acknowledge it, but let's not sit there and let's try to move past it so that you can get better and start to take those steps. The same goes for the physical body. I have a lot of clients, can you fix fix this and get, get rid of it in one session? I can't, it doesn't work that way. The body cannot turn on that fast. I can't give you 500 supplements. We go through something called, or the body can go through something called a healing crisis. And that's when the body just doesn't feel good because we detox so fast and we ha haven't handled the baseline stuff. So I always handle nutrition and the baseline, vitamins, all those things first, and we slowly work our way up. And sometimes people look at me like, but, but I'm not feeling, well, just wait, wait, we're gonna get there. But if you don't have the base foundation, we're not gonna get there. If we don't clear out this deep wound, you're not gonna get there as fast as you, you can't get to that. It's, some people can, it's, it's not a black and white thing to say that we can't get there, but most people, you gotta slow things down or if things are moving a little too fast, we gotta slow things down, next step, next step, next step to get to where your, your body's feeling better, where your mind is feeling better, um, and not sit in that space of just circling in the whirlpool, should I say, of at what point, like we talked to Benson about, at what point do you say, okay, we've talked about this for a year already. Have you gotten enough of your wound out that you feel um, ready to move on to the next step? I try to move, help people move because they want, they want to feel better. Everybody comes in with either an emotional thing they want to feel better with or a physical thing they want to feel better with or both because they are connected. So yeah, it's that's just my my, my two cents. Awesome. <laughs> and social uh, society is really rough on us. <laughs> social pressure. <laughs> and a final reminder for everyone to connect with uh, Benson Fox. You can go to, I'm looking for it. <laughs> 
Oh, I put the wrong comment up. No wonder, no wonder it is not making any sense at all because that's not him. Here it is. It's coachbensonfox.com. I brought the comment up and then I'm looking at it. I'm like, this doesn't make any sense at all because that was for a different interview. I apologize. But coachbensonfox.com uh, to connect with him. And as a reminder to everybody, uh, Dr. K and I, on the first and third Monday of every month, we do the energy clinic. You can come in person. You can do it virtually. Uh, so you can sign up at emergenceofbeing.com. Do you do anything like that, uh, Benson, uh, at any sort of... Um, online events where people, if they wanted a, kind of a taste of what you do, is there anything on your website or things that you offer to kind of, well, today is a great taste. Like just the way that you look at things, I think is a great approach to getting people to really take a look in a very comfortable setting. But do you have anything uh, going on online that you wanted to uh, plug? Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, on my website, I have a, the Dare to Dream Challenge, which explores the difference between dreams and fantasies. Do we ever, does everyone have a dream built in? What does self-actualization look like? The difference between dreams and healing work that can oftentimes be confused. Um, and I, I think it's take a look. There's three three hour long videos there. It's totally free. Take advantage of all of my free resources. There's some quotes there, um, podcasts on, on on the website, testimonial videos. So yeah, go in there. Take advantage of all that free stuff, and let me know your thoughts. And, and I'm offer anyone that's listening here a free consultation. If you email me at results at coachbensonfoss.com you throw in this podcast, I'll give you a free half hour video consultation. Um, and if it's just to even discuss hammers and thumbs, that's okay too. But, yeah. he'll, he'll, he'll be calling you. Absolutely. He'll be calling you. I guarantee you. And, and yeah, and, and anyone could take advantage of that or to see if it's a possibility to see what, what opportunities we can create together to create the balance in your life. Outstanding. Well, thank you so much for being on. I definitely see we could probably have a part two just talking about the family dynamic as people get help themselves. That's where I was already thinking we could go on a whole other tangent of like what what happens in the family after someone starts working on themselves. So maybe if you're open to it, we could uh, reserve, you know, pain in the family part two and have another conversation. Oh, I have so much to say about that. <laughs> the fam, the fam. Awesome. Yeah. So, but anyway, thank you all for watching. Uh, please subscribe, share this video, and be a contribution to our contagion of consciousness in the world and get the word out about all these amazing resources and different ways to go about healing and uh, go on your healing journey. And we will catch you next time. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us today for the show. Holistic Health and Healing is part of the Emergence of Being Contributor Network. Visit us at emergenceofbeing.com for all of our contributors' content and to learn about our services and upcoming events. Please take a moment to subscribe to the channel. You can contribute to the show by supporting our efforts and sharing our content with those you care about and those who need it most. Thank you for joining us today for the show. Holistic Health and Healing is part of the Emergence of Being Contributor Network. Visit us at emergenceofbeing.com for all of our contributors' content and to learn about our services and upcoming events. Please take a moment to subscribe to the channel. You can contribute to the show by supporting our efforts and sharing our content with those you care about and those who need it most.